turning there, let me encourage you to follow along with me. I'm not going to read all of those verses, but we'll be reading verses 3 through 6, verses 3 through 6 this morning as we uh, uh, share with you the work of the Godhead. Let me say, uh, last weekend we began a a short three-week study on uh, some familiar doctrines, okay? What happened is Brother uh, Daniel and Brother Clint had uh, uh, recorded some uh, thoughts on that, and you can find them on the church webpage. They also had listed some uh, other materials there that you could use as well. This week we've been uh, looking at, or they had given us another lesson on the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It just so happens that last week uh, we were able to find one chapter in the Bible, chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, and by looking at that chapter we were able to see the work of uh, creation mentioned there, And also, we were able to see the Word mentioned there. Not only did we see uh, the written Word referred to, but we also saw the incarnate Word uh, there as well, whom we know as Jesus. Well, today we're going to look at the work of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And by doing that, we have found uh, there's another place in Ephesians chapter 1. And what you can follow along with there is we see the work of God the Father, we see the work of Jesus the Son, and we also see the work of the Holy Spirit speaking to us again where we are, but likewise we find them in one chapter there in the Bible, which is unique to be able to find those that way. Follow along, if you would, in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. When it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted into the Beloved. Notice, if you were following along or even listening to me as I read, that we have saw the work there of God the Father. We have likewise read a portion of the work there of God the Son, Uh, And we'll mention in just a moment uh, in verses 13 and 14, uh, we'll see the work of the Spirit likewise, and we find it in the context uh, of what Paul is writing to the Ephesians. I remember from my studies uh, years ago, but also still have many of those books, I remember Warren Wiersbe, the commentator, pastor commentator, uh, he wrote a book on Ephesians, and he called it the bank book. Now, most of you have a different bank book, do you? You have a book there. uh, uh, You write your checks out of it. You keep a tally of what you have in your bank uh, account and what you do not have. Well, uh, some days uh, there's more month than there is money, but the reality of In our Christian walk with the Lord, it never gets overdrawn and neither does God's uh, uh, grace and peace for us ever have an expiration date either. 
Well, with all of that in mind, I want us to see the work of the Godhead. I found two visuals that would help me maybe to show, and I already know I should have put it on separate visuals, but what you see in the uh, top visual is what is not being taught here, okay? And if you could see the fine print, if not, just follow along. It says, is not. Uh, that little visual talks about the Father is uh, a God. That little circle that says the Son is a God. And then likewise, uh, that bottom circle says the Holy Spirit is a God. Folks, that is not what this passage is teaching, okay? For all three uh, are seen in the latter visual there. And all equally, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are God. We could stand here and try to teach you the Trinity, of which I'm not capable. Uh, many of you might think you figured it out, but I've uh, never found simplicity there to teach or preach it. And don't look for the word Trinity in the Scripture, for it's not there. But the Godhead is all through the Scripture from beginning to end. And that's what we find in this chapter today, okay? Well, again, the guys, let me mention it again. They've given you some study helps on the church webpage. They likewise have given you a word search on the webpage. So, you know, uh, that used to be what all old people wanted, somebody said, was a word search book. Well, at least we can remember something, maybe, uh, even if it is circling words. But uh, that helps us to visually see something, and when we see it, I think we can retain it uh, even a lot better. Follow along if you would. Look, if you will, at verse number 3 and verse number 4. Well, when uh, Paul would give us those words... Uh, he says in verse 4, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now, that He there is not in a capitalized form, although if you were writing that, uh, or I might be writing that, I would capitalize that. Why? Because it is a reference there to God. It is speaking about the first person, if we want to say it, in the Godhead. God, Jehovah. Uh, the reality is, is for our uh, sight right here. He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation uh, of the world. Last week we went a little further back. We saw there uh, the life of Jesus, but we also reminded you in uh, Genesis chapter 2 as well as Genesis 1 where the Lord said, Let us make man, and man was made in the image of them. Okay? Well, uh, what are you saying it again for, preacher? Let's remember that the first thing God did for us that we can tangibly hold on to is He created us. Now, you know, to get real technical about this, He tells us that He also chose us uh, even before the world was, okay? Now, if you can think back that far and explain it, good for you. I can only read it. Why? Because before anything was, He uh, is. He, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. But likewise, He chose me way back there. 
Now, many of us have made choices in our life. We have chose partners, many of us. I chose my wife as a partner now and fixing to be 46 years. I'm proud of every one of those days. And uh, we've never had an argument that I won. No, not really. Uh, I just say that lovingly, but listen to me. Uh, We choose sometimes from what we see, do we not? Think about God. God is so faithful and He is so graceful to have chosen us before He created us. So He did something unlike any of us would do. He at least uh, created us. He chose us, but He also consecrated us. Notice, He says there, He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Listen, the purpose there that God has for us uniquely is that we would again uh, walk before Him, not just only share our words uh, on His behalf, but we should do this in love. Then He talks about He has predestined us or predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. Now, we could go off on a frenzy with that word predestinated, but in the context of the Scripture that we read this morning, that is written in conjunction with the purpose that God has for our life, not the people that we talk about there uh, that He has created. Why? Because it said He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Uh, And therefore, He has predestined us to adoption by His Son, Jesus. Oh, again, if you've followed Warren Wiersbe through the years, read his commentaries, have them on your shelf, uh, he uh, helps us to understand that when we see that word predestined or predestinated, it always deals with purposes uh, and not with people, okay? You say, well, preacher, what do you mean about God's love? God loves all of us. God died for all of us. In His great choosing, He chose us all. And friend, it's a great, great honor to be on God's team, isn't it? It is above all one of the greatest things that I can hold on to in my life. So we see God's work for us. Quickly, let's notice Christ's work for us, okay? Now, we could have talked about God's work in us. But what he's talking about there uh, that we shared in verse 4 and 5 is God's work for us. We could talk about Christ's work in us. But before we do, let's remember Christ's work for us, okay? Notice verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Now remember, the doctrinal study that Brother Daniel and Brother Clint has uh, presented to you, uh, look the pages up, do uh, your work there, do the reading if you would, and you're going to find out there that God, uh, He did a work for us as well as in us. But also, they've given you some notes there to understand uh, in greater detail than I will give you today, but they've given you some notes there concerning Christ's work uh, for us as well. 
we cannot get away from verse 5, can we? Why? Because it says He has predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. Many of you are familiar with the adoption process. Many of you have adopted children into your family. And let me say, you are the people who need to be honored greatly. Why? Because you chose those people that you would bring into your family, give them your family name. Why? Because you love them, did you not? Now, there's something about love, isn't it? It's unconditional. And regardless uh, uh, to whether we totally understand it or comprehend it, uh, we treat that adopted kid prayerfully just like we would treat our own blood uh, uh, that would come from our DNA. Well, look, he's adopted us. Now, when we try to think of the adoption process, if we would all remember that we've been adopted, we've been brought into the family of God. Oh, folks, that's exciting, is it not? Why? Because when we're adopted into that family, we have rights as children in that family. We are not seen there uh, as uh, second or second class. What we're seen as is children of the Lord Himself. There's some other terms there, though. It says in verse 6, I mean, yes, it says in verse 6 there, uh, to the praise of His glory, He has made us accepted into the beloved. Oh, I'm so glad God sees us uh, through the work of Jesus as well. And it says there, He sees us as acceptable. Uh, and as I, He sees us that way, what a great condition there that we learn uh, there His love for us even further. Verse 7 says, In whom? Who is the whom? In Jesus. Yes, it's alright if you need to write Jesus there. Uh, why? Because sometimes we need to understand the who's and the whom and the who. Why? Because it means everything to what is being said. He adopted us. He redeemed us. I was thinking of an old song that we used to sing out of the hymnals. And I don't know that it's in many of our modern hymnals, but the song is entitled, I'm Redeemed. And the word says, sweet is the song I'm singing today. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. You know, sometimes we walk around in our life in Christ as if we're in shackles. Or we walk around as if we are indebted. But the scripture says that Jesus hath redeemed us through His blood. Now, you can read the Old Testament stories. We love those as well. And you read there in the book of Ruth, and you read a beautiful story of redemption. You know why? Because the next of kin there could uh, uh, redeem uh, that one. And if you read the beauty of that story is the, uh, the, the way that they had a signal or a sign that that person had been redeemed from the other is that the, there was an exchange of something. You remember what it was? It was a sandal. Now you'd see the guy walking around with one sandal, you'd say, well, where's your other one? He could say, well, I redeemed them with that price. Now, friend, Jesus paid a lot more for you and I. 
because He redeemed us through His blood. I love the Hebrew letter. Although it's hard to discern uh, many of those passages, there is clarity, though, when He says, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. When you read Exodus chapter 10 about the uh, setting aside of the Lamb, and you read about how that that lamb would be examined from the 10th day to the 14th day. And on the 14th day, that uh, lamb would have his throat slit and the blood would be caught in a basin. And, uh, and the scripture reminded them that they had to uh, use the blood, strike it on the lintel of the doorpost, because uh, that would be the sign that they would be carried away that night through the power and the grace of God. Friend, aren't you glad Jesus shed His blood for us? Friend, your blood wasn't good enough and neither is mine. Your works would never have got you there, neither would mine. But there was one satisfactory offering for God, and that was the blood the blood of His sinless Son. And this passage tells us that God loved us before the foundation of the world. He chose us in Himself before the foundation of the world. But secondly, He also uh, now uh, has has redeemed us through the blood of Jesus and He forgave us. How do I know that? He said, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. How many of you understand forgiveness totally? Hey, listen, let me, just, let me just say this about that. The forgiveness of the Lord Jesus is eternal. He's never going to remember what He has forgiven you for again. You know, the tragedy of our lives is that we constantly sometimes remember what He has forgiven us for. And somehow in our memory bank, whether it's the devil or friends that won't let you get beyond it, people uh, try to live as if he hasn't paid the price for it all. And we live, if we're not careful, under bondage when we have been totally set free by the blood of Jesus. The hardest person to forgive is you. The hardest person to forgive, for me to forgive, is me. But you know, the reality is still the same. If God's never going to bring that back up, why do we keep dwelling on it? Because it's forgotten in the sight of God. Can I remind you, we see all three persons at work in the life of you and I. God loved us. When? Before the world. Now we could talk about the whys, but hey, He loved us because He chose us. And folks, that choice is an eternal choice. God the Son, He shed His blood for us. Now, I think, as the application was in the Old Testament, that there is still a choice to be made. God Yes, we choose to believe that. The Son, yes, He he pardoned us through His blood, that, that offering unto God for our sin through Jesus. But there's still a choice, isn't there? 
we have got to not only believe that with our head, we must accept that with our heart. And then the transaction is completed, isn't it? Now let me show you something even more beautiful. Look in the latter part of these verses, 13 and 14. It says there, In whom ye also trusted. Now in the King James, that word trusted is in an italicized form. I don't mean to take anything from it. I like the fact that it's there. But it is a word that was not in the original manuscript, but it would have read, In whom ye also, after that you heard. He just says that, you know, after we heard, we trusted. You know, sometimes we can't believe what we haven't heard, can we? Now, some people come up to you and say, you, won't, you, you can hardly believe what I know. Well, I can't, but you sure made me want to know it. But he says, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. Isn't it amazing the power that is behind the spoken word when it is the word of truth? He said, you heard the word of truth and you trusted. He said, the gospel of your salvation in whom also after that ye believed. Notice, he carries us to two elementary steps. The first two steps we might take in our faith, and that is that we heard. Secondly, we believed. And notice the next phrase. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Thank God for the Holy, Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus taught us much about that in John 16. He told His disciples in Acts 1 that they were going to tarry in Jerusalem. And once they tarried, the Holy Spirit would come in His permanence. He would indwell them that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. But notice, even further back than that, the Holy Spirit of God has set there a seal upon all of those who are His. Seals are very important. If you know anything about the Old Testament, reading in the first book there, Genesis, you remember that Joseph was given even the privilege because of his uh, particular position, and he was given a, a seal or an insignia that he could use there on behalf there of the king. Let me say to you, the seal is placed on our life. It could be placed there for authenticity, couldn't it? where it could be explaining that this is genuine, this is true. Now, how many times do you read these little notes on something? 14 karat gold. Okay, what's it telling you? That it's authentic. You know, you can read other things or listen to advertisements on TV and you can get a little uh, excited about how they say things. They get you twisted up. The seal can signify authenticity. It can also signify security. How many of you know we have seals on our doors? We just call them locks. The Scripture tells us that He sealed us. And I believe that it could signify His authenticity, but also His security. But you know, a seal also signifies authority. It could say the seal of. Or it could put something on there that would be rightly understood by those who are needing to know that. 
How many of you have noticed that every time you go to the produce stand in the supermarket, that there's a little sticky note on just about every piece of fruit that's in the stand? Don't matter if it's a uh, bananas. It doesn't matter if it's an orange. It's going to have a little sticky note on there. And you know what it does? It helps them if there is some outbreak of something to be able to trace that all the way back to the farm that it was produced on. And you say, well, hey, I've often wondered why. Think about the seal that Jesus put on us. The Holy Spirit of God has us, folks. Aren't you glad? He's put His seal there. And you know, we could go on and talk to you about the security of the believer. John 10 tells us about that. 1 Peter 1 and 5 tells us about that. But I also believe that this passage would assure us of that as well. As you think of this with me today, remember that as far as God is concerned, there is no God like Him. As far as Jesus, there is no Son like Him. And as far as the Spirit, there is none like Him as well. So, it says He has been given to us as the earnest, or we've been given Him as the earnest of our inheritance. And the earnest is simply this, that we don't intend to invest something to lose it. You've put an earnest money down on a piece of property. Maybe you put earnest down for some other situation. The earnest usually is a signal or, or signifies that we're going to come back and finish the transaction. Now, as you bow your head for me this morning, can I ask you, can you see how much God loves you today? Let me say one word in addition to that. Love yourself. You're of great value. Hey, don't let nobody fool you. You are greatly loved. You see what Jesus gave for you? He didn't give His bank account. He gave His life. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. This morning, if you've never trusted Jesus, this would be the best time.